Well, hello everyone, Dave Therrien here with you on New Hope Radio, and we're in a series entitled Grace, the Amazing Grace of God. We noticed so far, the New Testament word for grace, you tell me if this is not important, it appears over 170 times in the New Testament. I'll tell you what, God wants us to understand grace, you know why? Because <laughs> it appears so many times. It's the Greek word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. And today you'll see why it's good to know that. As we've already seen, it's actually a common word in secular Greek, and it's used for many purposes. We looked at the word grace in our first installment, and what was it that we learned? We learned that it denotes a pleasant external appearance. Uh, It also comes in the realm of words of comfort, speaks of gratification or joy. It's extended toward a particular person, people, even God. Say, how do you give grace to God? Well, like we saw, gracefulness is demonstrated by thankfulness. So when you're thankful, you're being graceful. It's an emotional response of gratitude. We talked about that. It's also the act of being liberal. Not liberal in the sense of being, like, not conservative, but generous. Generous in your giving. Gracefulness is generosity in giving. So we've seen different aspects of the use of the word grace, or should I say, grace in action. Now, In the Greek Gospels, think about this. Only Jesus used the word charis. Huh. C-H-A-R-I-S. Only Jesus used that word. Today, what we're going to do, we're going to see what Jesus taught about grace. Let me tell you something. Whatever he teaches, it's a verily, verily. We better listen up. And he's going to teach us some things today about the grace of God. And we'll begin in Luke chapter 6 and verse 32. He said, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, What credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. Now, in each instance, the word credit is the word charis. Oh, C-H-A-R-I-S. It's the word charis, grace. So, it's like Jesus is saying this. If you only love those who love you, Where's the grace? If you only do good to those who do good to you, where's the grace? If you lend, expecting to be repaid, where's the grace? See, here, to make a safe loan with interest, people far from God do that. There's no grace in that. But if you lend, and if you don't get paid, you don't get paid. Oh, that's 
grace. Okay? So, wow, Jesus is saying, I want my people to be full of grace. Graceful. That's that's one of the things that would mock out the Christian. Grace. Now, think about this. There are some, In grace, there are some things which we should do for nothing. We don't have to get paid for everything we do. You know why? Because then it wouldn't be grace. For instance, do you have a talent? Do you own a business? Are you connected? Is it possible that you could use any of those abilities to help someone for free? Can you fix someone's washing machine for free that doesn't have any money? Can you repair someone's fence for free that doesn't have any money? Do you have some influence? And can you help someone do something for free? You say, well, I need to make a living. I can't do everything for free. But you know what I would say? Let God bless you. Let God pay you. Oh, yeah. I tell businessmen all the time, if you own the business, work smarter, not harder. You don't work seven days a week. What's wrong with you? If you're a Christian business owner, you don't work seven days a week. You give God his due. You get to church on Sunday. It's a day of worship. You lay aside your shovel. And you watch God bless the business. He will. Why wouldn't he? He'll bless the one that honors him. So don't be... Don't work like the Gentiles work. Work smarter, not harder. Okay? So, today it's not so much the use of the word charis that Jesus used, but the meaning behind it. He wants to get today at the heart of the word charis. Okay? Let's pull back the curtain a little bit and go deeper than the academics of charis. Jesus gave us some word pictures of grace. He gave us a picture of grace in provision. In Luke chapter 12, verse 27, you know what he said? Consider the lilies, how they grow. Look in the field, look. Oh yeah, I see them. They don't toil or spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon, richest man that ever lived, In all of his glory, he never clothed himself like one of these. With everything Solomon had, he still wasn't as beautiful as a flower God had grow in the field. Now, here's the grace. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? How much more? Do you see yourself as God's most valued possession? Oh, I hope you do. Because you are. Oh, yes, you are. You are the Lord's most valued possession. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who's in heaven, Give what is good to those who ask him. Now, wait a minute. The word gift here, the fathers giving to their children, is the word doma, not charis. Doma, and it means a present. 
a present. If you parents can give your children a present, doma, how much more will God the Father give to you? But it's not the word charis, because only Jesus uses the word charis in the sense of uh, going above and beyond. That's what grace is. Grace is God going above and beyond for us. Perhaps the most popular and most loved use of the word charis by Jesus, it's when it's used in the sense of grace that expresses pardon for sin. Jesus not only taught grace and provision, but also in pardon, pardon for sin. He told a beautiful story. We know it as the prodigal son. I know, I call it the loving father. Because the star of the story is not the son, it's the father. It's the love and the grace and the compassion of the Father. And almost everybody's familiar with the story. The son wanted his inheritance early so he could go out and live it up. His father gave it to him, spent it all, found himself in terrible need. He's in a pig pen. He's looking at the pigs. Man, they got it better than me. I'm going home. I'll say, Dad, I blew it. I'm sorry. Can I have a job with the other workers? You don't have to put me in the house. Put me in the barn. That's good enough for me. That's all I deserve. We find the story in Luke 15. And what happened? When he realized his sinfulness and returned home to apologize to his father, you know what happened in verse 20? Well, he got up and came to his father. Here comes the grace. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him felt compassion for him. Oh, and he ran, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. You know, fathers in those days, they don't run. You come to me. I don't run to you. But you see, grace throws out the rules. Grace goes beyond what you're supposed to do. And because of grace and because of love, he ran because of compassion. Oh, and he hugged his son and kissed him. And why? Because he was dead. And now he's alive. That is grace. Think of the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Oh, love those old songs. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine, with ten thousand beside. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Here it comes. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Oh, it's grace and provision. Grace and pardon. Another picture of grace that Jesus gave in his teaching, the remorseful publican. See, Jesus looks at the hearts. Oh, he goes beyond the words we say, and he looks at the heart. That's what's important to him. And there was a scene in Luke 18, beginning in verse 10, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other (laughs) a tax collector. 
And the Pharisee stood and he was praying thus, this to himself. Praying to himself, huh? I thought we pray to God. He's praying to himself. He said, God, I thank you that I'm like, I'm not like other people. <laughs> Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector over here. Oh, I'm glad I'm not like him. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, oh, he was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. He's beating his breast, saying, God, just be merciful to me. I'm the sinner. Could you be merciful to me? And you know what Jesus said? He said, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, God looks at the heart and he's hoping that there's some honesty in that heart. Some honesty, some humility. Another picture of grace is in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, where Jesus said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. <laughs> That's who he came for. If you're a sinner, raise your hand. Jesus came for you. Now, there is an unpardonable sin, unpardonable sin, that does not receive grace. It's the sin of spiritual self-satisfaction. Because in Luke 16, Jesus said to the Pharisees, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. But God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. See, the sin of spiritual self-satisfaction is the denial of needing a Savior. I don't need a Savior. Well, it's only through the Savior that we can find forgiveness. To reject the Savior is to reject the forgiveness that God offers. Because the forgiveness is in Christ. You know, the Pharisees, and not all of them, but a lot of them, they loved money. And they were satisfied in their present spiritual condition. But they loved money. And probably some folks are like that today. Many people think they have a relationship with God, but they're pursuing other things. But God knows their hearts. See, Jesus said in Matthew 3 to a bunch of religious people, do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. In other words, they thought their fleshly lineage would get them to heaven. He said, no, I say from you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. It's not a fleshly birth that gets you saved. It's a spiritual birth. No one can rely on anything except Christ to get them forgiven and get them to heaven. Not your church, not your denomination, not your lineage, nothing. It's only through Christ. The dilemma they had was, and that which is shared by many people today, spiritual self-satisfaction. 
That's a dilemma today. And people that have it will remain lost. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh, they will be satisfied. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? You'll be satisfied. And what are you satisfied with? You're satisfied with justification. See, when you're hungry, you know you're hungry. When you're thirsty, you know you're thirsty. And when you need a Savior, you know you need a Savior. (laughs) You know. And you have a hunger to be justified before God. Oh, you want to be right before God. You do. And therefore, spiritual self-satisfaction, it cannot be forgiven because it sees no need for forgiveness. It's satisfied right where they are. So Jesus taught about grace because it's so important. He taught, in grace, God provides for your daily life. In grace, God pardons your sin. In grace, God gives you forgiveness with his repentance. And he also, oh, in grace, warns against spiritual self-satisfaction. It's good. It's good. See, warnings from God are grace. It's grace. What's it doing? Keeping us out of trouble? Who wants to get into trouble? I don't. I've had my share. It didn't work. <laughs> I, any trouble I've gotten myself to, into, I can never say, oh, that was good. That worked out. <laughs> it never worked out. It always ended up costing more than it should have, than I thought it would have. So that's why self-satisfaction, it's not your friend. It's not. It's your enemy. Come to a point where somehow you find some, enough honesty to look into your heart and say, God, be merciful to me, etc. And you know what God does? In grace, you know what he does? Changes your life. Oh, yeah. Some people have a big change. Boom, all at once. Others, it's like a little trickle. Mine's a trickle. I wish it was a big boom, but it's not. It's a little drop by drop by drop by drop, day by day. Sometimes it's two steps forward, one step backwards. But still making those forward trips. I want to play for you right now a recent devotional from the Hope Club. And it's about God in grace, rescuing a man from himself. And changing that man. And making him a completely new creation. And maybe his story is your story. And my story. And anybody that offers himself to the Lord Jesus. So I'm going to play this Hope Club devotional for you. Maybe it'll inspire you to join the Hope Club. And if it helps you, maybe you will. This week in the Hope Club, we're looking at people Jesus is rescuing. Today we're going to see Jesus rescue a man from himself. (laughs) Boy, we need that sometimes, don't we? He rescues a man from himself. This man is known as Saul of Tarsus. And we find him in Acts chapter 9. Verse 1. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder 
against the disciples of the Lord. Wow. Saul was a Pharisee of the highest rank, and he did not like Christians. He thought they were an attack on Judaism. So he was a persecutor of the church. And he went to the high priest, and he asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, they call them members of the way, that's follow the way of Jesus, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he wanted these letters of commendation, kind of like a warrant for their arrest. And he was going to, this guy's going out of his way to persecute the church. And he was going to go find them, men and women alike, and bring them back to Jerusalem for punishment. And it came about that as he journeyed, he was approaching Damascus. Oh, he's getting close. He's probably getting goosebumps. I know there's Christians here. I can smell them. Hung in a clean house. He's riding in. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. Wow. It's like God took his picture. Boom! This big flash of light. It was so bright, you know what it says in verse 4? He fell to the ground. And he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's probably thinking, what? Persecuting who? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, who you are persecuting. So I'm Jesus. You know the people of the way that follow me? I'm the one they're following. And you know what's interesting? Hmm. The men that were with him, they were speechless, but they didn't hear the voice and they didn't see anyone. They were kind of like out of the whole thing. Only, only Saul knew what was going on. And Saul got up from the ground. And though his eyes were opened, he could see nothing. And they had to lead him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he couldn't see. And he didn't eat anything and he didn't drink anything. You know why? Jesus gave him the shock of his life. He rescued him from himself. That's what he did. Oh, and we're antagonistic to God. We're hurting ourselves. Oh, yes, we are. And we need to be rescued from ourselves. So in verse 10, there was a certain man at Damascus. He was a disciple. His name was Ananias. And God said to Ananias, Go find Saul. Go find him. I've changed him. I've changed his heart. And he'll and help him. And you will get him to regain his sight. And you might know the rest of the story. 
He became the mighty Apostle Paul, wrote half the New Testament, signs and wonders, planted churches. But what did it take? It took being rescued from himself. And when he was rescued from himself, it's like God unlocked something. He unlocked a new fervor. The fervor that he had that was directed against the church was now used on behalf of the church. Remember we said at another time, God said, I'd rather have you cold or hot, not lukewarm. If you're cold, I'll take that energy and I'll make it hot. Oh, Saul, he was cold. God made it hot. He changed his name to Paul. And he made him the great apostle. You know, do you need to be rescued from yourself? Oh, sometimes I do. I know that. God is like, save me from me. And maybe there's a constant rescuing that has to go on of ourselves because we develop these attitudes and opinions and preconceived notions and sometimes they're not right and God has to rescue us from them put our feet back on the ground going in the right direction so that's good it's good when God intervenes and rescues us from ourselves for Saul it took him it took getting knocked off of his high horse God had to knock him down and blind him. But he restored it all. What does it take for us? Maybe it won't take that if we abide in the Word of God and let that be our rescue boat. Oh, that's what God does for us, doesn't he? It's in, Everything God does for us is in grace. And I really hope that if that was something that you enjoyed, join the Hope Club. The Hope Club's cool. Come on. You just had a sample of what you'll get every day in your email box. Go to newhopecc.tv. Click the giving button. Then e-giving. Choose the radio fund. Commit three bucks a week. That's it. That's it. Three bucks. Every Friday, just click on it. Three dollars. There you go. Keeps that radio program on the air. And keeps those devotionals coming. And if you skip a week, don't worry about it. You'll get the devotionals. We don't check. This is an honor system. We just trust you. So, uh, thank you for coming along. I'll see you next time as we look at grace as power.